0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. Winbet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of when Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning.
2: Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Pilato. Tonight, we're doing a long-awaited Big Blue Banter mailbag pod. It's going to be a two-parter. So part one will be tonight. Whenever you're listening to it, it might be during the morning, might be during the night. Who knows? We don't know your schedule. We're just happy you're listening. But the second part will come later, later on. Yeah, maybe a day or two later, we'll drop the second one. wanted to make sure we got everyone's questions in. We do apologize if we missed any questions. Uh, Like I said, use the hashtag Big Blue Banter. That's how I always search for them. Um, So I might have missed ones that weren't weren't using that hashtag. I did look through iTunes, but iTunes hasn't been updating any ratings or reviews. We haven't had one in a long time, so I think they are just kind of stopped doing it. So I don't see any questions there that we missed. But again, if we missed your question, we do apologize. Feel free to just DM me and Nick on Twitter, and we can just answer it privately with you guys there, a little one-on-one, which we do with other listeners of the show, and we're more than happy to do with you as well. All right, Nick, let's get this mailbag ripping and roaring and going. I'll start us off here with the first question. Um, Young boy Cap. Young boy Cap asks Can y'all go over players that have the most realistic trade value and possible moves that you see as a positive for their salary cap and roster construction?
1: So I think the players I'm about to list have trade value, but. A lot of these players, the the NFL and other teams may be aware that the Giants are trying to move them, which will depreciate their value a little bit. But I'm going off of a list that Giants Daily, that's at NYG Daily, kind of came out with, I think yesterday said the hashtag Giants can clear 42 million in cap space this offseason by releasing these players. And then he has a list of players says James Bradbury would clear up 12.1, Blake Martinez 8.5, Sterling Shepard 4.5, Kyle Rudolph 5, Riley Dixon 3.25, and DeFonte Booker 2, and then Saquon Barkley would clear up 7.2 million. So those guys are, are in contention for possibly being released. Now, I don't think all of them are whatsoever. I think it's going to be taken into account. I think Sterling Shepard definitely falls into that category, as does Kyle Rudolph. Riley Dixon, and probably Devontae Booker. I think Blake Martinez and James Bradbury will more than likely be safe, and I don't believe the Giants are going to part ways with Saquon Barkley in terms of releasing them, but I'm not going to rule anything out in terms of trades because I don't know who's going to be the general manager quite yet. So that's kind of where I'm at uh, in terms of this roster and clearing up cap space, but it's still going to get tricky. I, I think you could do a lot of creative things, pushing cap uh, down the line to, to other years, stuff that Kevin Abrams did this year to, to kind of go for it this year. We saw how that worked out. But not knowing who the general manager is, it's kind of hard to kind of gauge what exactly he's going to do. Dan, what do you have to say about this? I
2: think realistically speaking, the only player with any trade value is Saquon Barkley. Nobody's trading for uh, James Bradbury's bloated contract. Nobody's trading for Blake Martinez off an ACL. Um, And the rest of those guys aren't really tradable players either that have any kind of value in a trade market. Um, And so Barkley might. I don't really know what value he'll have. We went over this on, Crossover show with talking Giants last week. It really depends, I think, on how he finishes out this season. It depends on if there's a team in the Super Bowl window that feels like, you know, they can get a boost from a player like Barkley and he'll be, give, he'll be their best or clearest path towards an immediate impact player. We've seen teams try to do this. The Chiefs have done this, you know, drafting Clyde Edwards to layer in the first round, trying to find an immediate impact player, not worrying as much about things like positional value. Obviously, they made a huge mistake taking him over Jonathan Taylor. That was just a really bad evaluation on their part. Like, the Chiefs with Jonathan Taylor now, can you even imagine how good they'd be? Like, that would fix their broken offense right away. Um, but, obviously, that was just a bad eval. But, listen... Barkley has some trade value. We'll have to see. It will probably start to materialize this off season. Um, if there is actually any, you know, realistic, I guess I would say um, possibility of him being traded. I still feel like he's Mara's boy. I think Mara loves the amount of money that Saquon Barkley makes off the field for the Giants uh, for, as a franchise, as a business. He's a very marketable player. He's a great person. He works hard, all those things. He's been in plenty of commercials and Remains, you know, one of the highest Jersey sellers, the highest Jersey seller on the team. So I don't necessarily know if that will factor in. I think it has so far. I think it factored into the decision to draft him to some extent. And I think it will factor in the decision to not trade him. Now, there are some easy cap, uh, creations they can have this off season. One of the easiest one is cutting Riley Dixon, a Dave Gettleman disaster He's the fourth highest paid punter by AAV Gettleman traded a pick for him and then immediately resigned him. He's one of the worst punters in the NFL. Pretty, pretty, pretty obviously. Um, And I hate to say that because he does follow me on Twitter now, which, you know, I don't know if he listens to this podcast. I hope he doesn't because we're not too kind to him. But they'll create 3.25 million in cap space and only uh, 125,000 in dead cap. So that's a good one because you don't have much dead cap that comes out of it. Another possibility that no one's mentioned is Nick Gates because cutting Nick Gates would clear 2.5 million in cap space. And this might not be something that on the surface, we might want to do, but it might be something that they have to do. If Nick Gates isn't improving as much as they want to in his recovery from again, what was a gruesome, debilitating knee injury, one that was similar to a leg injury, one that was similar to the Alex Smith one that took multiple years to come back from. And then ultimately, you know, he retired short shortly after. If that's the case with Gates, they may just have to cut him. Like, I don't know if you can just keep him on the roster of the red shirt year for 2.5 million against the cap and a team that's going to be super strapped against the cap like the Giants are when they need to find linebackers to start and they need to find multiple offensive linemen. I mean, more than multiple. It's not just two. It's four, five, six as far as depth goes. And they're probably going to need to fill other positions as well. Tight end is a big one. Like if they cut Kyle Rudolph, which they should, which will create 5 million in cap space, but also put 2.25 million in dead cap against the cap. That becomes a position almost a bit as a, I'm sorry, go ahead. I didn't say anything. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I heard something that becomes a position that becomes almost as bigger need than any of the ones I already mentioned with linebacker, obviously not offensive line, but with linebacker, like you can probably get away with Tate Crowder and Bernard McKinney, I guess. Can you really get away with, cause they're not going to resign Ingram. They don't have the space. Can you get away with like Caden Smith and Myrick and, and whatever else you can find at tight end tight end's So hard to find too. It's like you you don't get like a Bernard McKinney off waivers ever. You just have like nothing there. It's a position that's really scarce across the NFL. So you know, we'll see what happens, but they're going to have to find ways to create cap space because they need to use free agency because there's just too many positions to fill in one draft.
1: Yes, they're going to have to use free agency somehow. I think a team that makes, I I guess you could say somewhat sense for Saquon Barkley, especially if this team gets exploited down the stretch of the playoffs, is the Buffalo Bills, who That's have a great historically call. not had a running game for a while. Yeah, it's, I, I don't know, man. I just... I, I'm watching some of these games. I can't run the football. They put so much on Josh Allen and you put an athlete like Josh Allen with an athlete like Saquon Barkley, and all it takes is a draft pick and you can eat the cap there. That's a, uh, that's an interesting one to, to uh, keep in mind. If, if, the if the bills just get punched in the mouth by like the Colts or, or the Patriots in the playoffs,
2: that's the best one I've heard yet. And by far, I love this call. I think, you know, obviously he's not going to be here. We hope Dave Gettleman, but he does have a prior relationship with Brandon Bean, the general manager of the Buffalo bills who somehow came up under Gettleman, but has done a much better job of fielding a roster than Gettleman, which is just as frustrating as can possibly be. But, you know, even if Gettleman's not here, that's a great call because they're a Super Bowl contender. That's what you're looking for. They need to establish a run game. They need talent in general at running back. I mean, they have Zach Moss inactive every other week, and Devin Singletary is, is only an okay player. So that's a great call. I, I, I'm looking at that one. I'm thinking that could be a really big one and a big hit. Uh, I'll be interested to see if they could possibly get that going. That's a good one, Nick. I like that.
1: Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to go to Breck Jones, who asks us, speaking of the Bills, if they were to scapegoat offensive coordinator Brian Dayball, and you were guaranteed to get him as the OC, but judges retained as the head coach, would you be for that or against it?
2: <laughs> that's a good one. Um Yeah, I'm for it for a multitude of reasons, but also with a caveat. I'll start with the reasons I'm for it. I'm for it because I love him as an offensive coordinator. I love his pass-first mentality, and I love some of the schemes they've run. And more specifically, he is awesome in the red zone. And that is where the Giants need to improve most, in the red zone. So love him as the offensive coordinator. And as Breck said, it means, you know, Joe Judge is retained. Obviously, I'm not huge on Judge. I don't really see too much long-term hope for him or upside based on the, some of the ways he's, you know, some of the things he's said and done. But having said that finding an NFL coach is insanely hard these days. It's crazy, man. Like everyone, even in the giants class, like the, the class where Joe judge was hired, nothing really looks great from that either. Right. Am I missing someone or was there really, I mean, Matt rules, not looking great anymore. Uh, what else is in that class? Kevin I'm trying, I'm Stefanski. Yeah. Stefanski actually is great. So, I missed that one. Obviously I missed that one. So there, I mean, but you know, you hit one of every four of these guys, these guys from every coach class, it's not easy to find them. Um, and so if it means, you know, judges back, I I, I take that. What about you, Nick?
1: Yeah, i would take that. I mean, I already think it's, All but confirm that Joe Judge is going to be back unless something just really, really bad ends up happening, which I mean, we could argue that happened on Sunday, but even worse ends up happening. I think Judge is going to be back as the head football coach. So then it just comes down to who do you want to be your offensive coordinator, which actually is the next question from Nico Ryson. And the two names that come to my mind would be Dayball if he was scapegoated. But, you know, we can go through a multitude of different. Coordinators who may get scapegoated, which we just saw one in Joe Brady get scapegoated, who I do have interest in. And also Pep Hamilton, Mark Schofield brought up on our podcast. Those are two names that really come to my mind. But I would love Dave Ball, but I I don't think the Bills are going to scapegoat him.
2: Yeah, I'd go for Brady. I think Brady was fired by the Cardinals because I'm sorry, by the Panthers for three awful reasons. One, he doesn't run the ball enough. That's a terrible reason to fire someone. Two, he's dealt with a horrific quarterback situation and three, a bad offensive line. So, I know that was similar for uh in some ways for Jason Garrett, but at the with the exception of the running thing, but at the same time, like you can just see on the film, you can just watch how they their scheme runs, and you can watch how they're, they're they, uh, situationally play uh, their situational play calling, I should say. Um, and and Brady is definitely somebody that comes to mind as well. Yeah. All right. And, the next one. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: And I was going to say he also brings up a general managers, and I'm not going to dive into general managers quite yet. There are, I would look at basically any director of pro personnel and uh, college scouting for a lot of these really. Good teams in terms of drafting. I would look at a lot of those guys to see if uh, any of them would be people I'm interested in. But as of right now, there's no film to really evaluate with these general managers. So I'm just kind of throwing yeah. these out there and uh, hoping that, you know, the Giants would sign them to make me look somewhat intelligent.
2: Exactly. Me and Nick will not be that podcast. So we'll let you know right now there might be some other general manager questions. We're not going to be the podcast that claims to know all these general managers that are great. Our job is to evaluate film. We can evaluate film on coaches and coordinators and people who play calls. We don't know. I mean, most of the time with these general manager candidates, they're guys that have made a run within their own organization. It's not publicized. It's not like there's anything we can grade them on. There's no analytics. There's no stats. There's nothing. So I'm just hoping whoever they hire is good. And I'm hoping like, yeah, I mean, like, I guess if you go to an organization that's drafting, well, it's probably a good start, but that's not all it is, man. Finding a good general manager is tough. And it's not something that I think is really easy for us to evaluate, I guess would be the best way to describe it. So it's a scapegoat answer, but that's what we're gonna do for GMs because I I personally believe that anyone who's telling you this should be the GM or that should be the GM doesn't really know what they're talking about in my mind. I mean, unless they're somehow tapped into that organization. Like if someone from within that organization, he's like, Look, this kid, this guy is gonna be a hell of a GM. I promise you. That's another story. If it's somebody from the outside in the media, just kind of just basing it off of just well, this guy was on the Chiefs, and the Chiefs drafted this, like. Eh, I don't know. I think a lot of that is a lot of picks are just the GM makes the final call, um, and I stand by that. I've I've heard that too from former GM and a former coach. So is what it is. John G. Johnny G. Every time I see the name John G. Nick, I think of Johnny G. I don't know. What do you think of that? Johnny Johnny G. From something? Yeah, no, it's just kind of like an Italian thing. It's like a Johnny G. Hey, Johnny G. Johnny G. G G asks, what's (laughs) What'd you say? like Jackie Jr. from Sopranos. Yeah, like Jackie Jr. from Sopranos. Rest in peace. Oops, sorry, spoilers from a show that came out 20 years ago. Am I even allowed to say it? Yes, you are. You are. You are allowed to spoil something from 20 years ago. Uh, He asked, what's the most to blame for free agent picks? And by the way, I wouldn't spoil any major storyline. I don't believe in spoiling major story plot lines. Spoiling little things that don't matter, I'm okay with that. Anyway, he says, what's most to blame for the free agent and the draft picks rarely living up to contract and draft capital? Is it a talent evaluation problem, development, scheme? Might it be unrealistic expectations-wise, trying to draft O-line late? But feels like uh, New York Giants have had much less success than most.
1: It does feel like the Giants have had less success than most. And I believe it's collective, man. It's talent evaluation. I think development and coaching is also huge. And you would have to kind of select each player to kind of go over it From an overall standpoint, I think some of it's the individuals who were selected because you look at Will Hernandez and he's probably like the most uh, frustrating one in terms of someone who didn't reach the potential that many thought he had because he had the mean streak. He had a lot of the he had a lot of the physical attributes that you look for in an offensive guard. And he came out in 2018 and proved that hey, I I can be a, a solid starter on the offensive line. And we all thought that he could take that solidness and build and become a good to very good offensive lineman. And that never happened. Now, why did that never happen? Was it a motivational thing? Was it a coaching thing? Was it he's not being utilized to his full extent? I would argue it's not the latter because I think the power gap system that Jason Garrett actually ran probably fit him, probably fit him much better than a zone type of scheme. I just think the individual never really Scratch the surface of his potential. And I don't want to sit here and call him out from a a motivational standpoint, because I don't think that's fair, because I really don't know any of those things. But he just never progressed from the talent that he showed at college. The development was never linear from him. And that's one case. But I think, collectively, that's happened a lot with the New York Giants. So you have to kind of start from the top, right? You have to start with the general manager, and you have to start with the coaches. And there's been several coaches in the last, what, several years here you've had three different head coaches who have failed to consistently develop a lot of the traffic i think if you can go back far enough to to jerry reese i I don't know how much that general manager was in tune with that head coach and tom coughlin towards the end of that era and that's another reason why i think everything kind of came to a boiling point and blowing and ended up blowing up now with dave gettleman i actually I actually think Dave Gettleman was in tune and in sync with his coordinators and made draft picks for those coordinators, but those coordinators coordinators never uh, manifested these players into a a solid um, weapon for either side of the ball. And what's your take on that?
2: It's a really great question, John, first of all. I mean, I would tend to agree with Nick here. It's a combo of talent evaluation, development, and offensive scheme. I would say – if I had to rank them one to three talent evaluation would by far be for be one then development, then offensive scheme or any kind of scheme. And I'll, I'll even touch on the Hernandez example to me. I think it's more of a bad evaluation of the talent. I think he just hasn't made the jump from playing against low level players like UTEP that whole defensive lineman, like UTEP that he'll never see in the NFL to actual NFL linemen because he's not overpowering players at the point of attack, like he did at the college level. And he's just not a good mover in space. Like that was something you have to evaluate, right? Like your job as Italian evaluator is, can he translate to the next level? And he has not translated to the next level. His game was great at the collegiate level, at the level he played at, and it's not good at the NFL level. And so part of that, I do agree with you is maybe the kid isn't, you know, doesn't want to get better. And that's part of it as well. Or maybe the kid is mentally not there and wasn't asked to do as much from a mental standpoint at UTEP, whatever that may be. But he's not a good mover in space, which is super important for the position. He doesn't overpower or win at the point of attack as often as he should. And as often as he did at UTEP. And so that's just kind of your job. Like part of this is you have to evaluate how they'll translate to the next level. Justin Herbert was not very good his final season at Oregon. It was a bad system. They evaluated him and said he can translate really well to this next system that we're going to have for him. And he's a much better NFL quarterback than he was a college quarterback. And so you know, that's a big part of this, and that's why it makes it so hard, and that's why the draft is such a crapshoot. But that would be my take.
1: You want to know something interesting with Will Hernandez that I just kind of was thinking about while you were talking? Will Hernandez, has he ever played next to a competent offensive tackle? (laughs)
2: that's a great point. He never has played next to a competent offensive tackle.
1: Now I don't believe that's the reason why he's not scratching the surface of the potential that a lot of people, including myself believed he had because I've seen plays where it has nothing to do with the tackle and it's a combo block an ace block with the center or just a one-on-one block. And he, and he doesn't end up, you know, doing anything correct in that situation from a technical standpoint. And he ends up being a liability and just losing one-on-one matchups there, but it doesn't seem like he's never played. With a competent tackle, because last year when he was playing with Andrew Thomas, Andrew Thomas was not a competent tackle. This year he's playing next to Nate Solder on the right side, not a competent tackle. And you go back to 2019 and 2018, his rookie season, he was playing next to Nate Solder. I feel like Nate Solder was at his best in 2018, 2019, not so much. So I don't know, it's it's interesting. I, I don't think that's the reason, but it's something that I just kind of thought about.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting thing to think about. I'm not... I'm not certain, but definitely something to keep an eye on. I mean, just something to think about. I mean, with me, with him, though, it's like the, the bigger issues are just like he's not good at he's not good at a lot of things that a great offensive guard should be good at. And that's just kind of just who he is, I think, at this point. But it is what it is. All right. Victor asks, can you clarify the reporting lines for the New York Giants? I am quite sure the head coach and GM are peers. Each reports directly to John Mara. So a new GM may influence the head coach decision, but it's not his final call.
1: Yeah, I think the new general manager should influence the head coaching decision. I don't believe these things are always uh, in unison. I mean, there is a general chain of command where it goes owner and then general manager and then head coach. But I don't believe it's always set to that standard. But in terms of this new, I guess, general manager hire, I think they're going to want this new general manager to to want Joe Judge or at least say he wants Joe Judge give Joe Judge one shot at it and if the Giants end up winning six games then they're going to fire Joe Judge and that general manager will have his ability to hire the next head coach I think that's what's going to end up happening with the Joe Judge new general manager dynamic if that's what you're asking there
2: yeah I think so too and I think the worst case scenario would be to just get someone that aligns fully with judge right just get the best candidate give judge a shot i guess and if it doesn't work out next season let him pick his own gm um as far i'm sorry let him pick his own head coach um i ultimately believe and again i don't think anyone who claims to know this has actual any real insight into this or anything that actually leads them to believe that what they're so certain of but if i had to guess again just a guess I, don't, I think Mayer is a lot more hands-off with player personnel than people realize. I don't think he has had much say in any construction of this roster so far as it is to date. The only thing that I think he had a little bit of say in was the Eli Manning decision. Beyond that, because that goes way beyond play, like, you know, evaluating the best possible roster. They had to do Eli Manning right in their mind, which I'm ultimately kind of fine with. But I don't. I'll always stand by this. If I had to guess, I think he's a lot more hands-off with the roster construction than some people tend to believe
1: i i don't think that's a bad take to be honest i I really don't so demon days track nine asks hashtag big blue banter let's talk draft you can pick only Linderbaum or neil who do you choose and why
2: yeah so just for all these questions demon days i'm sorry this is not a uh cop out by any means but we won't be doing any player eval type questions right now um as far as blue banter goes we would be doing you a disservice to talk about who we'd rather have Linda Baum or Neil right now, because we haven't watched his film and that's what we're all about watching the film. And it's not just the film, like throughout these next three to four months before the draft, I'm going to be reading reports on these players. And I know Nick will as well. I'm going to be listening to interviews to see how they do there. I'm going to be listening to if their coaches say anything about these players, like from a mental process standpoint, things of that nature. And so all of that goes into this right now, we don't have all that information. So We'd be doing you a disservice by answering this. Would you agree with that, Nick?
1: Yeah, 100%. I haven't grounded the film. I only watch them on broadcast. And watching on broadcast, you can glean from certain positions. I, I feel like the offensive line is one of the uh, more difficult ones where you kind of have to, if you do watch broadcast, you have to go back and forth, back and forth to really get a gauge of of who the player is. And in terms of both these players, from what I've seen so far, they're both high caliber guys. And I can't decipher because I haven't watched the film yet between which one I'd rather have for the giants.
2: Yep. All right. Ashley asks if a new GM comes in and wants a new coach, would Patrick Graham be a candidate? Would he would provide some continuity while also getting a young promising coach who's one of very few, if any, who's had consistent and successful unit with the Giants in this dumpster fire of an organization, and he's done it without any true edge rushers.
1: So I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think Joe Judge is going to come back. But let's say for whatever reason, Mara and Joe Judge hit a boiling point and he's not, then yes, I think Patrick Graham could be considered for a head coaching job. But I don't believe that's going to happen.
2: Yeah, I don't think they're going to move on from Judge, but hypothetical situation they do. I think Graham should be a candidate. I like what I've seen from Graham. I think the players play hard for him, and I think he's done a really good job. I know a lot of people blame him for games like the last one with the Chargers or the one against Tom Brady, um, but it's, it's not his fault that Gettleman traded a third-round pick and invested twenty-five million in cap space per year in Leonard Williams, who doesn't always, you know, impact the pass, the, the the quarterback like a Jeffrey Simmons, like a Aaron Donald, like a Chris Jones. It's not his fault. Dexter Lawrence was used at 17th overall pick, and it's not impacting the quarterback as consistent as we need to. Those are not things that Patrick Graham had any control over. He's working with a limited set of talent at edge. Like Ojalary is a very good, a very solid player in his rookie year. He's not really an elite edge guy right now. Um, and he's working with an even more limited set of talent at the linebacker position, which makes it harder for him to get creative and use, you know, pepper the A-gap and do some of the things that we see from some of these good coordinators who get a pass rush in there. I know Vance Joseph does a good job of that. I was watching uh, the Cardinals early on in the game uh, get some pressure against Stafford that way. But, you know, you can't do those things as much when you have Tate Crowder's and the, and the Bernard McKinney's out there. So for me, he's somebody who I would be interested in, especially if you can bring in a good young offensive mind at the coordinator position for the offense.
1: Absolutely. It would be interesting to say the least if that were to happen. Robbie Allen, Bobby Allen asks, <laughs> are the Giants a better running team with Saquon or Booker right now?
2: Well, first, let me say uh, a little presumptuous of you to assume that Robert Allen, who writes his name out as Robert Allen, wants to be referred to as Bobby. Just Yes, very weird.
1: presumptuous of me, but I, I did it. And I'm going to do it with other names that I feel like <laughs> have an ability to be shortened. Okay.
2: I understand that. I respect it. Don't you ever call me Danny though. All right. You hear me?
1: Why do you hate Danny so much? I know that's a guy. I don't like Nikki. It's not like something that I aspire to hear, but if it happens, I'm just like, you kind of let it roll off my back.
2: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what a good, this is some deep rooted problem that I probably need to speak to some kind of therapist about, but listen, I don't like Danny.
1: What about Daniel? Don't call me. What? What about Daniel?
2: Again, my mom still calls me Daniel. And so Nancy Schneier, saint of a woman always be allowed to call me daniel and so i'll take it from people within the family others hey eh, i'll listen to it i don't mind it i don't mind it nearly as much as danny but uh, listen it's dan it's not that hard
1: you shouldn't have told everyone on twitter that you hate danny because you're yeah, going now to it's
2: going to be danny like well listen i,
1: I you know I, how I, I am you know i'm not going to i wouldn't do that you didn't <laughs> you didn't have to specify it to me
2: you're right. You're right. I made a mistake. And listen, we can edit that out. But I, I, I say choose not to. I, I have to own up to these mistakes and live and learn from them. All right. So Robert Allen asks, are the Giants a better team running with Saquon and Booker right now? This is a really interesting question. I think this is ding, ding, ding. Best question we've been asked yet. So good job, Robert Allen. I'm going to start doing random things like that, like rate the questions and rank the questions, give kudos to better questions. Doesn't mean the rest of them aren't good. I just like these kind of more in-depth and interesting ones um, even more. So to answer your question in a vacuum, just what you asked, I think the answer is yes, or or, or, I'm sorry, you said either or. I thought you said with Booker. I think the answer is with Booker. But I still think the Giants are a much better team with Saquon on the field because Saquon can hit a home run, because Saquon can run a route like he did in the last game that scored a touchdown against the Chargers that Booker just doesn't have in his arsenal because Saquon can do take a screen pass to the house, which we saw in past seasons, not as much this season. And because of that home run ability, I would rather have Saquon on the field. But are the Giants a better running team with Booker? I think the answer is yes. I think he does a much better job of processing mentally. I think he does a much better job of following his blocks and setting up his blocks. I think he's more decisive. And I think he's more of a north-south runner in the right way, like not running into the back of blockers. So that's my answer there. What do you say, Nick?
1: I think Booker is a better running back than Saquon Barkley in terms of vision, decisiveness, and how and when to hit holes. But I still think, as you kind of said as well, Saquon Barkley is the running back you would much rather prefer to have because of his unique athletic ability, his uh, superior ability in space and his ability as a receiver. I think Booker is fine in all those senses, but Saquon Barkley is way too, uh, just so much more dynamic than Booker that I would have to go with Saquon, despite the fact that, you know, you watch Booker, man, and, you know, he falls forward. He's a tough runner, but he, you know, he just doesn't have those unique qualities as Saquon Barkley has. Yeah,
2: exactly. That's a fair way to do it. All right. Yojimbo, Fukiombo, Fujiombo, Yojimbo, Fujiombo. I don't know. Fujiombo. (laughs) He says, (laughs) I knew I was going to pronounce one of these wrong eventually. He says, what has Joe Judge done well as a head coach for the Giants? Is it game planning, scheming, building a culture, making players or coaches better than they were before he got to them, play calling, special teams, player evaluation, uh, managing the salary cap, He says, seriously, what the hell is Joe Judge good at? Anything?
1: Yeah, so Joe Judge, I think we could say he assembled a a solid coaching staff without the Jason Garrett hire. Now, the Jason Garrett thing, people are saying that it was a Mara hire. I, I have no idea. You know, that was obviously a mistake. There were reports that said Joe Judge wanted to remove Jason Garrett after last season. That didn't end up happening. I don't mind the coaching staff overall, but... And then the culture, I think, is also you know solid in the terms that these guys haven't quit on them, despite the fact that the Giants are absolutely terrible. But the game planning isn't all that great. The play calling and the in-game decisions have been a liability. So you're not completely off here. Joe Judge hasn't impressed in his second season. If this was his first season, you would be able to make the excuses that would you know make sense. So, you know, this is his first season. Okay, you know, there's kind of bumps and bruises. This is his second season now. We're seeing similar mistakes that we saw in his first year. So that is something that makes me be like, yeah, like Joe Judge hasn't proven anything quite yet to to make us be like, yeah, he definitely deserves a third season. What's going on, everyone? Football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find Giants tickets anymore because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as you go To find NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge. Aren't those terrible? Which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets. Don't believe it, if you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you hundred and ten percent of the difference in the purchase price. That's a pretty good deal. If you just want to go check out the Giants, you know, pregame, hopefully they win a football game, then Please head on over to TickPick.com today to save $10 on your first order of Giants tickets. That's TickPick.com. Check it out, everyone.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data,
3: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
2: Yeah, um, to answer the question, I'm trying to rack my brain thinking of things that I like from Joe Judge. I think one thing I like from Joe Judge is, I don't know if I will give him credit for this because, again, we just don't know. But if he had any say in the decision to trade down in the draft and build a roster out by trading back and acquiring more assets and more picks, kudos to him there. I like that. I also like something that I know for a fact, tangibly, that he played a role in. And he talked about it, I believe it was two weeks ago, when he talked about how the Dolphins were built in a very similar way back to front with the secondary first. And he said, it's no coincidence that, you know, we did the same thing. I I stand by it. I'm a believer in building out the secondary first. I don't think it's easy enough to find edge rushers. I think a lot of these swings you make on these edge guys are just total bust picks that lead to nothing. And I think if you, more importantly, the NFL is a game where it's designed to get the ball out in two and a half seconds or less nowadays for almost every offense, stay in rhythm, get the ball out fast. You need guys who can cover. And that's to me is most important. Uh, You also need depth there because injuries are more likely as well. So, I'm a believer in that. So I like that. Um, As far as some of the things he brought up, I don't think he's done anything great game planning wise. I don't think the culture is great. I know it's supposed to be great. I don't think it's actually great. I don't think players like running laps. I don't think any of that crap is actually good for this culture. Personally, this team has lost an incredible amount of games. They've had a ton of blowout losses under judge, which is not in my mind, a sign of great culture. They were blown out. What twice already this year, three times. If you want to include the Broncos game where they weren't in it in the fourth quarter, um, the cap hasn't been managed. Great. The player evaluations haven't been unbelievable. The special teams hasn't really gotten better. It's actually gotten worse under him. Play calling. Isn't great. Um, and obviously the in-game coaching is, is horrific and the time management is horrific as well. So there isn't anything from that standpoint to like, but, uh, I'll point to the two things I mentioned with judge.
1: Absolutely, man. And you know, you never go back to front anyways. <laughs> any- <laughs> nah, we are okay. Uh, Kev NY family asked about GMs, and we kind of already hit on that, my man, a little bit earlier. So then Derek Passon asks, in the moment, which of the post Super Bowl 46 years was actually the most depressing? In retrospect, which year did they squander the largest opportunity? I like this question.
2: Another excellent question. We really need to get a soundboard on the show, Nick, so we can like move and put in sounds like we have this on fantasy football today with CBS. We can put in sounds that like this is like another ding, ding, ding or some kind of sound to indicate a great question by Derek Passon here. So this is a great question for me. I talked about this year as the most grueling and grinding, and it certainly has been, but not every year. Have we done the Big Blue Banter podcast? And not every year have I ground, have I watched the tape every week, which has led to part of this grinding, gruelingness. And the question isn't which was the most grinding and grueling. This was which is the most depressing, and which year did they squander the largest opportunity? So for me, without a doubt, it's the 2017 season. During the 2017 offseason, it's been well documented. There's no speculation needed that Andrew Whitworth wanted to come play for the New York Giants. He even said it in a later interview. He said that was a place me and my wife were most interested in. We really wanted to go finish our career there, but they didn't even show any sign of interest. We talked to our agent. We told him about it, and we were told they have zero interest whatsoever. Instead, the Giants went on to use that cap space on Brandon Marshall, wide receiver, and they went on to enter the season with Eric Flowers and Bobby Hart as their starting offensive tackle. So, had they signed Whitworth, I really do think they could have had a much different 2017 season. I think it would have made such a difference. I mean, if you look at the numbers from that year, and, it, and I think he carried it over to 2018. So I think it was two seasons in a row for Whitworth. He was still grading out as the first or second best left tackle in the entire NFL. With the Rams in his first two seasons, he was that elite, and so they would have had an elite left tackle where they could have just left on an island. They could have moved Flowers over to the right side or taken him out altogether because Hart was probably a better tackle at that point of his career. They could have given Hart every you know every play help like they give uh, Soldier this season or like they used to give Solder this season, and I think they could have had a much more functional offense just by adding Whitworth. Simple as that. Uh, and I do want to point. Uh, Give a quick two to my own horn because I did write a fun article for 24 seven sports on Jan dated back to January 7th. And most of our articles, we would update the timestamp to try to run it back through Google. I made sure and hopefully my bosses from the former job never hear about this (laughs) because it won't be great. I made sure to never update that timestamp. Nick, I wanted to read January 7th when I said the Giants need to go all in on signing Andrew Whitworth, make it their number one priority. And I still to this day don't understand why Jerry Reese showed no interest with Flowers and heart as his only two tackles.
1: Yeah, it was that, that was the easy um, first choice for me as well. 2017, that was such a huge disappointment, and everything Dan laid out is pretty accurate. But I would have to say the second one might be this year, dude. What do you think about that?
2: Yeah, again, it is fair. I mean, we went into the season – I know you were a little less optimistic after watching the line in the preseason. I probably should have adjusted as well. I thought they were going to be able to kind of pull a little bit of a McVeigh Rams and just kind of like negate the line with good offensive talent. To some extent, I wasn't expecting like a top five offense, but I was expecting like top 15 with a top 10 or top five defense. Got none of that. We thought maybe 10 wins, 11 wins, got none of that. It's another pathetic team. Uh, so, yeah, this would be number two for sure. All right. Anything else on that or want me to get to the next one? Now nah, let's go to George Gibbons. All right, George Gibbons wants to know, and this is a tough question. This will get a ding, 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 but it's also just like the tough question. It's the question everyone has to answer. Any Giants analyst has to answer. So let's do it, Nick. If you were the new general manager, just hired to be the GM of the Giants, what would you do with Daniel Jones? Would you keep him? Would you trade him? Would you keep him and let him run out to try to bring in the comp pick? Or would you pick up or reject that fifth-year option?
1: I'm wondering what that comp pick would end up getting us. So you're going to have him for next year no matter what, but you have to make a decision in May on his fifth-year option. I believe fifth-year options are around $25 million a season, if, if, if I'm not mistaken, right? So it's a lot of money to invest in Daniel Jones for one year. I don't believe he's proven the fact that – I don't believe he's proven that he's deserved that right now. But that's not the only variable to be considered in this, right? You have to weigh in the fact that you have two first-round picks and the quarterbacks are a little bit shoddy coming into this draft. So if I'm the general manager, I'm probably – I think I would pick pick up that fifth-year option. I think I would put serious consideration. And I haven't watched the film extensively on these quarterbacks. I may love a Malik Willis or the kid from Pitt. I, you know, I, I could. I haven't watched the film, so I don't really know. But going with the assumption that these quarterbacks aren't generational, I think I want to invest those picks – in possibly the roster to improve the overall roster, the offensive line specifically, maybe a pass rusher, and then see what Daniel Jones can do from that. But I don't believe Daniel Jones has really earned the fifth-year option either. So that's where I'm kind of in a quandary there. But if I had to put a gun to my head right now, I may think about picking up that fifth-year option and uh, going forward mainly because I don't believe there's anybody in this draft that may be um, worth you know a top-five pick at quarterback.
2: Yeah, this is a tough one for me. Uh, I've gone back and forth on this a lot. I think after the Saints game, what we said was, that's what we, that's what we can be if the line's blocking well. But I think there have been times in those, you know, every game since from week five on until Jones got hurt. The line was fine. The blocking was fine. Or he just missed a read. Or he just didn't see something. He didn't get his eyes to the spot where he needs to be fast enough. Or he burps the baby and the timing's off. There's just too much inconsistency in his play. When everyone crowned him after that Saints game, I said, I love it. But I want to see consistency. I want to see this done over a much larger sample size. And I haven't, and we're now in year three. And I think it goes back also to what you've said in the past, Nick, and what you know we both agree with from a philosophical standpoint. This may not be the quarterback who can get things done outside of structure. He's really bad at throwing on the run, uh, loses, loses accuracy, Entirely, almost doesn't really have arm talent to generate really big time throws on the run. And this might not be the quarterback that can get things done without the perfect situation around them. So then long term, 30,000 foot view. Why am I even picking up his fifth year option if I can get a similar deal to what the Jets got for Sam Darnold? And so that's where I come to next. For me, it's the first thing I would look to do as a new GM is test the trade market because I don't think going into this offseason, Daniel Jones is a worse sell than Sam Darnold. I think he's a better sell than where Sam Darnold's like. It's the same sell to a large degree. Look, we didn't give him a line. He had nothing around him. The situation was horrible. But as far as flashes on tape go, Daniel Jones has flashed a lot more on his film, a lot more. Than Sam Donald has slashed. Daniel Jones doesn't have the same mechanical issues as Sam Donald. One of the things I like most about Daniel Jones is his upper body mechanics and his throwing motion. He has that. The footwork isn't great all the time, and it was an issue at Duke as well, but it's not as bad as Sam Donald's footwork is and has been. Um, And so I think he's a bit of a better sell than Sam Donald was. So if you can find a team that's willing to give up a second round pick and then some for Daniel Jones... That's probably my best option at this point, and then I tank quarterback and tank the season and try to hit that 2023 class, or I fall in love with the pro- if there's a prospect to fall in love with, I can do that too. Like you said, if we watch the film, I don't really see that being the case. But you know, even finding even if you go that route and then you sign Gardner Minshew, right? do something like that, that might be the best option as well. And you're not really losing too much in that regard in my mind either, while also acquiring a second round pick and then some. So that would be the first option. If they don't have much of a trade market for Jones, I would just keep him and pick up that option. Like you said,
1: I don't, that's, that's my thing. I I would obviously, I would look for the trade as well. I don't think he's going to garner as much as Sam Darnold because the Sam Darnold blueprint has been laid out. And I think a lot of the NFL was higher on Sam Darnold than they were on Daniel Jones. I think the giants we're high on Daniel good. Jones. I think one team that – that again, all it takes is one team. We always say that on the podcast is the Broncos if Vic Fangio keeps his job and Pat Shermer is the offensive coordinator there. I think that's the one team that you may be able to get some draft capital from, mm. but I, 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 I'm I not confident in that.
2: I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if, if – <laughs> I know he got the most out of Jones. I don't know if Pat Shermer would want to hitch his wagon to Daniel Jones personally. No, dude,
1: he, Pat Shermer reportedly loved Daniel Jones, like loved him, like yeah. I was, a, yeah. And so did uh, Dave Gentlemen. But
2: I must have missed that. I didn't see that as much of the Shermer stuff.
1: Yeah, and I mean, they—I believe they had a really good relationship and everything. And I mean, you look at Teddy Bridgewater and everything going on there. Like Daniel Jones is is a is a better quarterback than that situation, right there, in my opinion.
2: Probably. I don't know for sure.
1: Yeah, it's, not, it's definitely not a definite thing, huh? yeah. but uh, I, think I guess overall... he definitely
2: has more upside than Bridgewater.
1: Oh, absolutely. He doesn't do a know. lot
2: of the simple things right, though, that a quarterback needs to do that. I think sometimes maybe Bridgewater might or other quarterbacks might. And so, I don't know. You wouldn't be buying into him, though, for what he is now. You'd be buying in for him. If you trade for him, you're buying into the potential. Like, he slashed this on film. Look at how good he looked in that Saints game when he had a little bit of protection. We can make him into something. It's more of that than anything else, I think.
1: Yeah, and then Shermer actually has um, a year of experience working with yeah. him, and a good line. Like. Yes, so they got a great I think line that, over there. I think that's one that may I don't think you know a team that's looking for like, like the Texans are going to be like, oh, second round pick. Like, I don't, I don't, I just don't think that's going to happen. Like the Carolina Panthers did for Sam Darnold.
2: Yeah, I would tend to agree with you on that. All right, good time listener. I love this guy, Giant Roddy Piper, asks serious questions. One would you keep Jones for next year around twenty five million for the fifth year option? We just kind of touched on that already. Um, I'll say this though: I didn't. Re- I guess I just wasn't thinking about this right, Nick. I didn't realize it was twenty five million against the cap. Um, I might change my opinion on that. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's a tough one at twenty five million against the cap. I mean, he had, certainly hasn't played up to it yet. I, I don't know. That's that's tough. I, I still think it's I tough. would. What'd it's you say?
1: Tough. It's yeah, definitely. It's, tough. it's definitely not a certain one way or the other.
2: No. Um, if keeping him, would you give him the fifth year option? If keeping him, what offensive scheme would suit his skill set best?
1: So I think uh that one we can answer. Yeah, I think using his legs and that's something that's you know a point of contention because he's been injured every season and it's usually because the Giants use his legs. I think it has to be within the system that you have to use zone read, you have to use RPO and you have to focus on getting the football out of his hand quickly. But I also think the vertical element has to be implemented into this offense. I think you can spread out a lot. I think you can use empty. He's operated out of that. Well, I think you have to use quarterback draw. You have to get him moving laterally with play action bootlegs with a lot of the things we've seen within Jason Garrett's system. Only I think you have to make, the pre-snap phase of Jason Garrett's offense much more creative and then the post-snap in terms of what the heck the receivers are doing much more creative and I think you should also simplify the offense maybe a little bit in terms of not having him do full field reads all of the time now he doesn't necessarily do that all of the time a lot of what Daniel Jones and every quarterback does is they read pre-snap leverage they make a decision they check that guy post-snap and then they Fire the football. It's something I think Daniel Jones needs to clean up a little bit, but I think you could dial it back maybe a little bit more to simplify things for Daniel Jones. But I think my main thing would be using that athletic ability, which hasn't proven to be a a great strategy so far because he's been injured so damn much.
2: Yeah, I think in answering this question and thinking about my answer, Nick, it's kind of where it kind of makes me realize why I'm lower on Jones than I want to be than I hope to be at this stage of his development as the former sixth overall pick because I start to think about it and I'm not even like, I want to say you just simplify the offense, right? Cause that's like, you know, everybody talks about how good Daniel Jones was his rookie year, but what they don't realize is instead of looking at it, like Daniel Jones was so good. And then the giants failed him because they didn't build an offensive line and they went to a worse system for him. And that's why he hasn't been as good. Once you get back to a better system for him, he will build on his rookie year. They almost don't consider the possibility that he was in a simplified offenses rookie year. And teams didn't have film on him. And once film is out on there on him and defense coordinators have what he was doing well, because it wasn't much. It wasn't much. They, they weren't reinventing the wheel, A, with Shermer, and B, they were doing a lot of the same things over and over. They adjust to that. They take it away. And then what? Because you can't just go back to it once it's adjusted to and taken away. And so, like, I want to say, like, simplify it and have him go back to reading the field high to low, half field reads high to low all the time. But that doesn't seem like a long-term plan. That I can get behind is something that I think will work and lead the Giants to a Super Bowl. It seems like if you have to run a simplified offense for your quarterback, that's not the quarterback you want to have. And so he needs to develop his game. His eyes need to get a lot faster. He needs to get better at processing. Like, there are ways to help him, like you said. Like, use more zone read. I guess use his athleticism. Work in the RPO game. But then you kind of just have like a 2 a situation where you're running all this RPO and the offense is not really good, but it can move the ball. Like he can get to that level. If you want to turn him into a, what two is doing right now with Miami, but that's not what we want either. There's no ceiling there really to me as far as what I'm looking for either. So I don't know, man, I'm, I'm at a bit of a crossroads there. And I think I, I, I again, like you want to find a system that's going to attack vertically more. It's going to simplify it for him. But then again, if you're simplifying things for your quarterback, is that really the quarterback you want?
1: No, it's not necessarily what you want, but it's also you can simplify it initially and then expand upon it if he continues to prove that he can operate within that simplified system. And I don't think simplified necessarily has to mean not vertical or not explosive. I think you can operate more simplistic route concepts like stick, something that has been criticized, but when used sparingly and in the right situation against the right defense, it's effective. But I feel like another big issue with Jason Garrett wasn't just the playbook it's also the play calling so i think if the play calling is something that can be uh i guess more efficient and, and especially if you incorporate a lot of pre-snap movement pre-snap motion and some more unique aspects that we did not see with jason garrett then that could alleviate some of the pressure that daniel jones has seen within his two years with jason Garrett's system
2: at least yeah, that that's hope. Fair. yeah that's the hope and again, like, like you said, like simplified, it doesn't mean no vertical, The giants were more of a vertical offense than they'd ever been under Jones with Shermer. And that was the most simplified offense he's run. So again, you can go to that. I just, again, I don't know. It just doesn't feel good. I don't know if that's like the end goal to simplify things and make, and move backwards from a processing standpoint, or as far as what you're asking from your quarterback.
1: Yeah. You yeah, know, I, I completely agree. And I don't, and I'm not even fully sold that Daniel Jones should be here. I think the giants are a really, really tough spot right now. And they put themselves in this spot through the last several years. I mean, dating back to Jerry Reese all throughout Dave Gettleman's time. And now you're at a point where you invested a lot in Daniel Jones. Are you going to turn the page on, on this player who, Has proven himself to be someone who can be in the NFL, but not someone who's going to necessarily take you to the next level. And then you have to add in all the variables of, well, he has had crap and all the excuses. But again, some of them have merit, like we always say. So I just think it's a really uh, tough situation and decision that the Giants front office, whoever that might be, leading it at general manager is going to have to make at the end of the season.
2: No doubt about it. All right. Jim Henry asks, You got five picks in the first three rounds. Do you spend three of the five on O line or four of the five?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's all gonna come down to the value and everything like that. But yes, they need to put a focus on the offensive line.
2: Yeah, I mean me and Nick are big believers and you don't draft position, draft the player. And I think the best teams do that. So I stand by that. The hope is that this is another great offensive line class and the Giants don't get screwed and a few guys are taken ahead of where, you know, where they pick. Um and, and that could be bad luck. But yeah, if it works out well and there's good value on each pick, I'm fine going three or four of the first five picks on O line. They need depth they need starters they need guys to compete they need to have the ability to if one of these guys bust the other they they have another guy to turn to so i'm totally fine with it like i think they can go into next season with with this defense plus some at some added players maybe at linebacker in free agency or something like that um as far as the skill players go i'm kind of fine with where they're at with that besides tight end they need O line help they certainly do so if it works out i'd be fine with that
1: and then Kevin Lafaso asks, it's early, but any thoughts on cap casualties? Hey, Kevin, we already went over that at the top of this episode. Stephen Mice asks, what would be your blueprint for the 2022 offseason? And would you be fine if the Giants take Tyler Linderbaum in the top 10? In terms of blueprint, you have to make some cap rooms. You're going to have to make some tough decisions. And we kind of alluded to that earlier in the episode. And as for Linderbaum, I haven't done an evaluation on him. But from everything I've heard and from the Iowa games that I have watched on broadcast, he does seem like he could be in contention to be a top 10 pick. And the Giants need interior offensive line, so it makes sense from that standpoint, but I can't give extensive analysis on that quite yet because I haven't done the film.
2: But I could answer that for you, Stefan, or Steven. I don't know how you pronounce uh, that spelling of it, but in a general, broader sense, um, I think we've learned from the Quinton Nelson eval and from the Quinton Nelson draft, there really isn't a, you can't take a guard this high. If he's that good, and we kind of knew he'd be all pro immediately, he's worth taking. I don't know if Tyler Linderbaum is that. I'd have to do the tape evaluation. I have to read a lot more about him. If he's Quentin Nelson level, good. and Quentin Nelson level can't miss. I'm fine taking him for sure in the top 10. I might even, you know what? I'm fine taking a player like that in the top five because offensive line is just so important. I know they say you can find guards anywhere, but that certainly hasn't been the case for the Giants a long time now. They haven't found any offensive linemen anywhere. So it's just a hard position. to It's a hard group to find players at. And if you could find a Quinton Nelson, I don't care what position he plays of the five, just get him. And so if he is on that level and I'm, I don't think he is to be completely honest from what I've seen so far, but he might be, then I'm fine doing it. If he's not on that level, I would be somewhat okay, but I think it's risky. Like there's been other guards taken early, like Jonathan Cooper who have busted. um, And so you really need a strong, clean eval.
1: Absolutely. Tommy, red cheeks with a coughlin from the green bay game pick shout out to this awesome ass no
2: no 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 no. i'm so sorry that was my note so it's tommy red cheeks but he in his profile picture he has a tom coughlin picture from with the red cheeks from the green bay game so i just thought that was awesome and i wanted to shout it out
1: oh next time, Dan. Yeah. I editorial know, notes right here. What should the Giants legitimately do to alleviate uh, this situation? I don't see a way out other than a few years to rebuild and to fix the cap situation.
2: Yeah. How did they get out of this mess? Um,
1: We've kind of touched on it a lot throughout this episode. It's it's not going to be easy. <laughs>
2: if I'm going to be honest, I think the quickest fix out of this mess is, is improving the quarterback position. If I'm just going to be completely honest about the situation and what I see when I watch NFL games across the league. Now there are ways to do that. One might be trade. I'm certainly going to have my eye out on some of these trade possibilities. If Deshaun Watson gets cleared, he'd be my number one target. I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going to move on at this point, but he'd be a target for me. Russell Wilson is someone we'll talk about later on the show. I'm not as sold on him, but I'd have to watch film. Um, But, If they're not going to trade for one, they got to, they got to, you know, the only other way to get one is the draft or if Daniel Jones becomes that player, we hope he'll be. But to me, the biggest way that this team gets better is just simply better quarterback play. That's at least my personal opinion.
1: No, I 100% agree. I think that's something that can definitely take this team into playoff contention possibly because this is a quarterback-driven league. It wouldn't be easy for said quarterback behind an offensive line that is tragically bad, but we've seen Deshaun Watson do it down in Houston with a terrible team around him, have a pretty solid season lead, a subpar team to the playoffs. Granted, the defense was solid back then, so that would be the quickest way for certain, but there's there's a lot that needs to happen if that's not the path.
2: Yeah. And even Russell Wilson until this season where he got hurt and had to try to come back in no time from this injury that was supposed to leave him out eight weeks. But even before this season, he's done it, too, with a really bad offensive line and with a defense that hasn't been good for a long time now. Like ever since they lost the Legion of Boom and those guys got older, this defense has been pretty crappy for Seattle. And it's not like he's led them to titles, but he's kept them competitive every year. And at this point, I just want competitive Giants football. I'm willing to take that, you know, I'm willing to gamble on competitive football. And the best way to get competitive again is with a quarterback who can keep you competitive. So it'll just be something to keep an eye on. Like I'll be I'll be probably more for the Giants being active at the quarterback position than, than most would be, I think, uh, at this stage of the, you know, the Daniel Jones, um, whatever you want to call it, development. All right, let's do one more, Nick, and then we'll wrap it up and get to the rest on the next one.
1: Okay, yeah, we have C 1975 asks about the offensive coordinator who we would want to hire. We already kind of touched on that a little bit earlier. Is there anything you want to weigh in there, Dan?
2: Yeah, no, I mean Brady would be my number one option. I still want Joe Moorhead, but it looks like he's got a nice gig over there at Akron. I doubt we can we can pluck him at this point. Um, you know, so if they're gonna keep judge, it would probably be Brady for me as my number one.
1: He also asks about some college players, which were also I think it would be a little bit disingenuous if I if I Give any analysis towards that? Anything there, Dan? No, like we said,
2: we're we're not gonna give names for any draft prospects yet, because again, we we want to watch the film and we wanna do our due diligence instead of just going by like what we see now.
1: Absolutely. And then outside of New York, your favorite food city to date. What's yours, bud?
2: Well, of course, not including uh something like oh a city, he said. Okay, that that makes it a little better. So I will say, while you can get really good food of certain like for example the best barbecue by far is is austin in my opinion and i've had uh houston barbecue as well austin barbecue was 10 times better and i know Houston's not known for its barbecue really to be quite honest no offense houston i don't know what it's known for in general i I, i'll be honest no no offense to any houstonians wasn't a huge houston fan i felt like it was just a spread out city with a lot of tall buildings and not much else so maybe i need to do another trip there maybe i didn't hit the right spots i don't know there was one fun bar we went to though well i think it was called little Woodrow's. and they had and we were lucky enough to go the night where they had turtle racing which is literally what you think of it's they, they take they put numbers on the back of these turtles and they have them race and you can bet on them or i mean we did you can't actually bet on them with them but me and my friends bet on them which was great but aside from that not a huge use guy. but again The question is, what's the best food city? And my answer is definitive, Nick, it's New Orleans. And I'll say why. Every single place you go in New Orleans serves great food, great tasting food. And that to me is the definition of the best food city because you can go to 25 to 30 different restaurants. It doesn't have to just be the Yelp reviewed best ones. And they all are pretty damn good. Even like Coop Coop's Tavern is one of my favorite places in New Orleans. They have all sorts of different kinds of Cajun food there. You can like uh, Willie Mays in New Orleans, the best fried chicken in the country. Willie Mays in New Orleans, a little off the beaten path, a little kind of getting uh, you know, into a not so nice area. Of New Orleans, so you have to sift your way through that. But as long as you're a little, you're, you're tough enough, there you can uh, you can sift through that and you can head over to Willie Mays, which has the best fried chicken in the country in New Orleans. So just a lot of good places. in New Orleans have
1: been picked there. What about you, Nick? I haven't been to enough cities. I, I feel like it's definitely not Phoenix. I'll, I'll tell you guys <laughs> that it's definitely not Phoenix. I've liked the uh, street tacos in L.A. Um, obviously, New York is out of the picture according to this. I've had barbecue in Austin. It's absolutely amazing. I would like you to talk to your co-worker heath cummings about best barbecue though because i think he would have something to say about that mr kansas city himself so he believes
2: it's kansas city
1: yeah yeah exactly and i've I've been to a lot of i would say i've been to a lot of cities but i went to a lot of those cities when i wasn't really indulging in their in their cuisine so i kind of uh shot myself in the foot there yeah
2: i I shouldn't even ask you this you're not the best person to ask for favorite food it's all right nick it's all right you're in great shape
1: so you got that going for you (laughs) Thank you.
2: Probably going to live to like
1: 127 with your health. Highly doubt it. But Dan, I don't know. I don't even know what this question is, (laughs) but uh, what is your favorite track on the new jacket album?
2: Yeah. So my morning jacket, one of my favorite bands, obviously we've me, me and me and this, this, this listener have shared uh, some, some talk about the, my morning jacket band. They came out with a new album. So to answer your question, I actually went to their live show in at forest Hills in September. And so, I'm going to answer this two ways. My favorite song by them live uh, was um oh, crap. Now I'm blanking on the name and I'm totally pissed about it. So Let me let me first start by saying as I look this up. My favorite song on the album recorded is Penny for Your Thoughts and a close second would be Complex. Those are probably my one and two from this new album and in general i'll say this about the album i didn't love it as much on the first listen through but as i've listened through a bunch of times more i have started to really like this album i think it's a pretty solid album i'd even put it ahead of some of the albums It's not gonna reach the tier one for me which is z and it still moves uh that's tier one it probably wouldn't even reach tier two but i'd say it's pretty damn good and so the best song I heard live was Lucky to Be Alive because I heard that at that show. And the breakdown at the end of that with the guitars wailing is just phenomenal stuff. So live, lucky, the live version of this answer is Lucky to Be Alive. And then on the album, I would say it's either Penny for Your Thoughts or Complex for Me. So those would be my answer there, Nick. All right, we're going to wrap this bad boy up. Now, we still have a lot of questions to get to. We'll break it up and we'll do it on the next show. Thank you to everybody tuning in. Have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you soon.